Tonight I'd like to ask a simple question and that is what are you searching for? It would seem to me that there's a lot of people in the world that are searching for different things. There's flickers of, of curiosity that are in people all over the place. Sometimes it's for big things, sometimes it's for little things. Some people in the United States, for example, they're looking for a political leader. They want somebody that's going to maybe solve the national debt problem. We want somebody that's going to institute policies that's going to get us away from war and into a place of peace. We want to fix the issues of poverty and we want somebody to help us get working again. Some people want somebody on a very worldwide level to handle the big issues. Issues such as the rise of Islamic extremism or the issue of hunger or the issue of sex trade or sex trafficking and slavery. All these issues we're looking for like this this leader that's going to just solve these problems. And then again there's probably most people that are just looking for something small. They're looking for somebody that will that they can have a good relationship with. They're looking for simple things that will bring happiness in their eyes. Maybe it's just the formula to lose weight once and for all. Maybe it's just this ability to find a job or a better job or a better paying job. Or maybe it's just being able to find peace in the midst of the mess that you find yourself in. For many people, I think there's this feeling that something is missing. And when we come to Christmas, that kind of magnifies things, either towards the positive or towards the negative. It's towards the negative when we have someone that's missing in our life, somebody that once was there, maybe last Christmas, but now that void is there. And so Christmas just brings back unpleasant, brings back unpleasant memories in the sense that that person's now missing and they're grieving that. But for others, Christmas points out that there's hope. And it's, this is where it's positive because they get that glimmer of hope for maybe one more day or one more week or one more month or another year. And so they're looking for that. I think in this time in history, probably more than any other time in history, or at least just as much as any time in history, people are searching. They're searching for what is missing in their life. Now I'd like to present tonight what I think is missing. Some of you know it very well, but some people, you may not know it. I think what is missing is Christ. Now I know that kind of sounds like a Sunday school answer, doesn't it? It sounds like a Sunday school answer, but I don't mean it to be as simple as that. What I mean is this, Jesus is the entry point by which we get all of our questions answered. I want you to think about that. In the book of Revelations, chapter 3, verse 20, it says this, Here I am, this is Jesus speaking, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Jesus is clearly setting himself up as the entry point by which we begin an intimate relationship with the living God. 
See, you're never going to find what is missing in your life if you just keep Jesus as a figurine in your nativity scene. Uh, you're never going to find what is missing if you just keep Jesus as a cliche. Jesus is the reason for the season. And you're certainly not going to find what is missing if Jesus is just part of your vocabulary when you get angry. Jesus is more than that. I want to read something from John chapter 8. Jesus makes a pretty bold statement. This is what he says. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. The light of life. Now I want you to think about that. That statement that Jesus just made is an incredibly bold statement. In fact, if he is just a man, it is an arrogant statement. I mean, can you imagine me coming up to you and saying, hey, I want you to know I'm the light of the world. Um, in me, there's, there's no darkness. Um, if you follow me, you'll never walk in darkness and you will have the light of life. You would say, Steve, you know what? That's a, that's a pretty bold and arrogant thing for a man to say. So for Jesus to say this, he was either arrogant or he was divine. And if he's divine saying this, then it demands a response in our life. It is a demand of examining what needs to be exposed. What is dark in our life? What is it that we need to do to accept his gift of light? Namely, his salvation. This is the simple question that I think we need to ask but I think it's also the question that the people in the New Testament asked on that very first Christmas morning. I think that there were many people that were asking about this Christ. Now, often at Christmas time, we just focus on all the positive things in the Christmas message. Now, we just read Luke chapter 2. Now, in reading Luke chapter 2, we read about the shepherds that were out in the fields and who saw the star and heard the, the angels singing and they went and worshiped. We looked at the Magi who came, came in and brought gifts to Jesus and we saw Mary who is taking all this in and pondering it in her heart. Yes, all these ha things happen, but what I want us to realize is that there was a lot more that happened that night as well. There are many more people that were evaluating who is this Christ and what is he here for? Let me point out a few contrasts to these good examples. The first contrast is a guy named King Herod. This isn't in Luke 2, it's actually in Matthew chapter 2. And here's what we know was happening in Matthew chapter 2. We understand that the word was getting back to King Herod, who is the king over the land, that there were these magi, these uh, dignitaries from a far off east uh, country that were inquiring about the Christ child. These magis were asking of the people of the town, and this is what they asked, I quote, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and we have come to worship him. Now, I believe that when King Herod heard this, this made him furious. First of all, there's somebody else being called king. 
And he was a very, very arrogant man. How dare there be somebody else called king? The other thing is that there's dignitaries coming from faraway places to worship this king. So here's what Herod did. He was tight with the Jewish scholars, and so he had them go to work in looking for where this king, this Messiah, was to be born. So he asked them, where is this Christ to be born? Now he didn't do it because he wanted to worship, he did it because he wanted to destroy this child. Now it's interesting that the king worked closely with the Jewish religious leaders. See, he was in tight with them. It was kind of a, I'll scratch your back, you scratch my back. And so what happened is King Herod made provisions for the Jewish people for well over two decades of building them a magnificent, beautiful, ornate temple. And as a result, the Jewish people honored him as their king. And this had benefits to him politically. Now, King Herod did not want another king, and so that's why he's asking this question. He wanted to deal with this. So when he found out that this child was to be born in the city of David in Bethlehem, and he heard that these magi were going there, he basically said, hey magi, we want you to go find this child, and when you have found him, come and report to us so I could go and worship him as well. Well, the Magi were warned by God that they were not to do that, and so they went home a different way. But what did King Herod do? King Herod was so furious when they didn't come back, he gave orders that every child to and under would be destroyed in Bethlehem. And that's exactly what happened. So tragic. See, King Herod searched, but he did so with wrong motives. Now contrast King Herod with the Magi. The Magi searched with positive motives. Now what's interesting about the Magi is that they were astrologers. They were astrologers. Now they weren't the kind of astrologers that you or I might think about that they're looking at horoscopes and things like that. No, these were people that studied the stars and knew that there was a master creator who created those stars and as a result they were worshipers of this master creator. These astrologers were God-fearing people who had a knowledge of the Old Testament scriptures. And so the Holy Spirit compelled them that they were to go and respond to the revelation that they knew from the Old Testament and they were to find out where this Christ child was. They were to bring presence and they were to worship him. This is such a contrast to Herod. Herod wanted to take the life of children, the children, this child, the Christ child. But these magi, they wanted to bring presence so that they could kneel down and they could worship. So which are you? Which are you? Do you have a heart to give or do you have a heart to take? Do you want to worship or are you making life all about you? This is a real important question for us to evaluate. My hope is that you're more like the Magi, that you see a creator you know him to be true, and you want to worship him with all your heart. Let me point out two more groups of people. 
The other group, the, the third group of people that I want to point out, we've already talked about. They were the religious leaders that Herod used to research this. But here's what I didn't point out. These religious leaders, these people that were supposed to be men of God, they did not once, after studying and evaluating all the prophecies about where this Christ would be born, they did not go and worship the king. They didn't do it. Now, no doubt, they had more knowledge than anybody else of the scriptures. They would have known the prophecy that was given in Isaiah, for example, where it says, The virgin will be with a child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. In fact, they would have known that there is over 50 prophecies in the Old Testament alone that predicted exactly how the Messiah would come, how he would live his life, and how he would suffer and die. And yet, they had a skeptical heart, and they said, it can't be true. Now contrast that with the information that the shepherds had. The shepherds were just out in the field, minding their business, watching their sheep. Nobody to bother them. They weren't bothering anybody. And all of a sudden, they hear the heavenly host of angels. And they see the star. And they immediately respond and follow the stars and listen to the angels. And they want to find the Christ child and bow down. And what did they do? They worshiped as well. That's what they wanted. What a contrast. Those that had the knowledge, deep, deep, deep knowledge, and yet they were skeptics, and those that had this very limited knowledge, and yet they went and worshipped. You see, faith doesn't mean that we're ignorant in our faith, but rather it means that we respond to that which we know is true. How about you? Are you a skeptic? this Christmas? Have you allowed your heart to believe what you, your mind knows to be true? See, the evidence to how you answer that question is going to be seen in what the Magi did and the shepherds did, and that they worshipped. Are you a worshiper? I want to encourage you tonight, as we finish up our time this Christmas Eve of worshiping this Christ, I want you to worship with all of your heart in our closing songs. I want you to think about every single one of those words, the, the words that you sing. And I want you to bow in your heart before this King. Act as if it is the very first Christmas because this is your King. This is the one who has brought the light into the world. If you've never asked Christ in your life, ask him to enlighten your heart. Ask him to expose the darkness and ask him to come into your life. Accept him as your Messiah, the light of the world.